Happy Easter. Our aim, I don't know if you knew that. That's what the Easter Bunny does the rest of the year. Our aim here is to inform and learn something new every day. But happy Easter. Um, if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, my name is Aaron, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And to begin, I need the guys' attention. So guys, look at me here. Uh, I need you to take a moment and size me up. All right, I'm about 6'1", 175 pounds. Um, I want you to think in your head, if you and I got in a fist fight, could you beat me up? All right, just think. Hey, you don't have to respond yet. Don't be so enthusiastic. Just think. All right, 6'1", 175 pounds. I used to run track, which means I used to be fast. Um, I think through. If you and I got in a fist fight, you think you could beat me up? All right, now, on a show of hands, I want to know, if you think you could beat me up, Raise your hand. Aaron, that was too enthusiastic. All right, hold them up. It's okay. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Just get honest. All right. Okay. Yeah, Aaron, you probably could. Yeah. Is that AJ? That'd be, I think that'd be a good fight, you and me. All right, just keep them up. All right, yeah, just hold them up. Okay. Tristan, what do you weigh? 160. Okay, that'd probably be good. You've been in a fight before? No. No, okay. Well, I haven't been in many either. Okay, all right. Girls, you can't play. <laughs> Put your hands down. You can't participate. Greg, I saw your hand up. Yeah, you could probably beat me up. That's right. Yeah, okay. Okay, I thought it'd be more. Did the honest people in the room at least raise their hands? <laughs> All right. Just so you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not offended by that, uh, except for the girls. The girls, I'm a little offended by that. Yeah, Katie. Yeah, Katie, maybe, maybe. But, uh, yeah, so you're not going to hurt my feelings. It doesn't upset me. You know, you can, you can, you can, uh, hey, did I see uh, you raise your hand, too? Yeah? Tran, Savita. Yeah, you probably could, too. You're trained. You're trained. You should be able to beat me up. It doesn't hurt my feelings. It doesn't upset me. I can take it. Uh, but this morning, what I, w- I do want to talk about is something that really does upset me. And it's not, not, not underestimating what I'm capable of, but underestimating the power of Jesus really bothers me. It really bothers me. And I think that we paint, we paint a really girly Jesus, don't we? I mean, I'm guessing, like, just think for a moment, in your, in your mind, when I say the name Jesus, what do you picture? What kind of man do you picture? All right, just think about that for a moment. What kind of guy is that? I would venture to guess that for many of us, the Jesus that we picture is probably maybe a Jesus that we saw in a film, right? Maybe, I don't know, Passion of the Christ or Jesus Christ Superstar or what have you. Um, or maybe it's probably for many of us, it's art, you know, um, maybe a Jesus that we saw in a painting somewhere, or if you're like me and you grew up in church, maybe it was like the Jesus we had framed on the walls, you know, or in Sunday school books, and he always has like the bright white robe, like he never walked through dirt, and the blondish, you know, sandy blonde flowing hair, and the blue pageant sash, he's always petting sheep, you know, or something like that, (laughs) right, and and I get why we do it, right, because we, we want to... We want to connect with this compassionate Jesus, right? And was Jesus compassionate? Absolutely, he was compassionate. Did he pet sheep? Maybe. I don't know. You know, I read the Gospels. It's not in there. It doesn't really talk about Jesus petting sheep. He could have, right? But I, I I get why we do it, right? We want to connect with this, this loving Jesus, this gracious Jesus. But when we talk about him, we rarely talk about this Jesus who was a force to be reckoned with, who is fierce, who is absolutely powerful, but when you look at Jesus and the way that he talked about himself, right, and the way that he interacted with other people, it was always about 
His power. All right, listen, you don't get crucified for being just a really swell guy who walks around giving free hugs and petting sheep, you know? Like, you don't get crucified for, you know, walking the Middle East and holding poetry readings and talking about love all the time. All right, that doesn't get you crucified. But what does, will get you crucified, apparently, is going around saying, you know what, I'm, I'm the only way to God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. But that'll get you crucified. What will get you crucified is when people see how powerful you are and they'd rather be rid of you than have to deal with the implications of that power. Was Jesus gentle? Yes, those verses are in there at times. Was he compassionate? Absolutely. Was he loving? Absolutely. Was he gracious? Absolutely. But was he weak and helpless, lovely Jesus, like a rose trampled on the ground? Absolutely not. It wasn't. It wasn't helpless, lovely, vegetarian, pacifist Jesus. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take that idea and kick it in the throat. right? And I want to give you a truer picture of the Jesus that we see in the scriptures. And so what I'm going to do today is a little bit different. Um, but what I want to do is I want to look at a single gospel, one book of the Bible, just one. There's a few of them that are devoted to telling the story of Jesus, but I'm just for the sake of time and focus, I'm going to stay in one. And just take a brisk walk through the gospel of Matthew. Because I want you to see Jesus as he really is. The Jesus who is fierce, who is a force to be reckoned with, who is powerful. And if you've never really read the Bible, um, or you're new to the whole church thing, this is going to be great, because you're going to get kind of a bird's eye view of this person of Jesus that we're here to gather to celebrate to worship this morning. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to Matthew. Uh, If you need a Bible, we'd love to get one in your hands. Um, Otherwise, you can use a smartphone, whatever. Um, So I'm going to to Matthew chapter 4. So Matthew chapter 4 is kind of where our story is going to begin that we're going to look at. And Jesus, before he starts his public ministry, he goes out in the wilderness, we're told, to fast for 40 days. So he doesn't need anything for 40 days in the wilderness uh, to prepare for his ministry. And I don't know how long you've gone without eating. I've gone maybe three days, four days max. as absolutely miserable the whole time, uh, just whining like a baby. Jesus goes 40 days, and we're told that, that Satan goes to tempt him. He's trying to uh, get him off track very early on. And Jesus just keeps shooting him down. This is Jesus at his weakest point physically. Chapter 10, verse, or 4, verse 10. Jesus said, essentially says this. He says, look, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Nails, all right? Jesus is nails. That's the way he begins. So this is the very beginning of his public ministry. Chapter 4, he's calling his disciples. He's beginning to perform miracles. He doesn't have a huge following yet, zero credibility. Nobody knows who this guy is. He's a carpenter from Nazareth. And this is how he starts. Get this, chapter 5, immediately he goes after the religious leaders. All right, these are men of influence, men of power. And Jesus walks right up to him and check out what he says. This is chapter 5, verse 20. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you you realize how bold of a statement this is? Look, unless you do it better than these guys, you have no hope to get into heaven. In other words, these guys think they're going to heaven, but they're not. They're going to hell. These are the religious leaders. Influence, power. And Jesus says, you better do it better than these guys, because they're not going there. They think they are. This is Jesus starting his ministry. This is how he starts. All right, Just just a picture of things to come. Rather bold. I'd say that's a rather bold start. Chapter 6, chapter 6, Jesus goes after uh, the rich. Common theme throughout his ministry. Goes after those with money. 
He says, look, you can't serve two masters. You're going to have to choose God or money. God or money. Don't worry about tomorrow and all these other things. Like, if you want to follow me, serve me, it's going to cost you. You've got to choose. can't serve God and money. Chapter 7, he's talking about judgment day. Not a very popular topic today. Wasn't a very popular topic then. And this is what Jesus says, verse 21. You'd think he'd build a little credibility first, make some friends. But this is how Jesus comes out, guns blazing. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Apparently his name is really powerful. Right? Modern, maybe translation could be, Jesus, didn't we go to church? Right? Weren't we generally good people? Didn't we give some money? Didn't we volunteer here and there? Didn't we do more good than bad? And this is what Jesus will tell them, verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. All right, this is Jesus getting warmed up. All right? Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. Chapter 8. Chapter 8, Jesus... uh, Jesus and his disciples are heading out on a boat. It tells us at verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. And suddenly a furious storm came on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. Right? If you've ever been in a boat in a large body of water, and there's big waves and wind, you know how vulnerable this makes you. Very quickly, you realize how weak you are, but not Jesus. Jesus was actually sleeping, which I think is really funny. I don't know how, but he's asleep. And they wake him up. The disciples think they're going to die. They went and woke him up and they're saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Can you imagine how freaked out you'd be? the waves, the wind, you think you're going to die. And this man who's sleeping gets up. He says, why are you so afraid? Steps up, shouts at the wind and the waves, completely calm. And the disciples are saying, what kind of man is this that the sea submits to his authority? Amazing. Immediately after that, very next account in all three synoptic gospels, verse 28 says that when he arrived at the other side, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. Get this, they were so violent that no one could even pass that way. And they, the demons speak out through these men, and they fall down before him. They say, what do you want with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the time? Have you come to torture us before the time? What does this tell you about Jesus' order and the whole divine order of things? What does this tell you about Jesus? What does this tell you about where he stands before demons? They say, Jesus, what are you doing here? Have you come here to torture us already so soon? Isn't that coming later? What are you doing to us? Or why are you here? Are you here to torture us before the time? So Jesus, they beg for mercy. And Jesus casts them out. And then listen to this, verse 34, chapter 8. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Isn't that weird? This Jesus, right, who gave out a lot of free hugs and talked about love, pet a lot of sheep, apparently, and they're begging him to leave. 
when they see his power and what he's capable of, they would rather see him go. Jesus, I like things the way they were before. I don't know what to do with this. We don't want you here. Leave. That's power. <laughs> Chapter 9, we're told that uh, Jesus uh, heals a paralyzed man. They're, he's brought before him. In verse 6, he says, Listen, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And so the man got up, took his mat, and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, depending on your translation, filled with fear. And they praised God, who had given such authority to human beings. So people freaked out. They freaked out. And, and, and understandably so. Just imagine for a moment, there's somebody who's a part of this church has never walked before, comes in a wheelchair every week. You know who he is. I know who he is. Let's just say hypothetically. And they come here on a Sunday, and I step up, and I'd be like, you know what? You're healed. Your sins are forgiven. Get up out of your chair. Praise God. Go home. And he stands up right in the middle of all of us and goes home. Imagine how freaked out you would be by me. You wouldn't think he could beat me up anymore, you know? Up and out. People are freaking out. What is with this guy? Where, where did this power come from? Who is he? Chapter 10, Jesus has some pretty harsh words. Pretty harsh words. He's talking about fear. And he says, look, you're afraid of all these different things. You're afraid of people. And he says, what's the worst they're going to do? Kill you? Verse 28. Look, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. Ah, fire and brimstone, Jesus, talking about hell. It says, whoever publicly, 32, whoever publicly acknowledges me will also acknowledge, uh, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever publicly disowns me, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, do you realize what kind of power I have? Don't fear people. What are they going to do, kill you? Fear the one who can kill you now and later. I have that kind of authority. I have that kind of power. Those are fighting words. Chapter 11, Jesus is not out to make friends. He confronts whole cities. So you think it's going to be bad for you? Or you think it was bad for Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember what happened to them? It's going to be worse for some of you. Guns ablazing. Chapter 12. Chapter 12, the religious leaders are ticked because Jesus is breaking the rules again. And his disciples have gone through the fields. They're picking grain on the Sabbath. They're saying, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, you are clueless. You don't understand. He said, you don't understand why I made those laws. And yes, I made those laws. So the Sabbath does not exist to serve man. Or man does not exist to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath exists to serve man. This is for you. you don't, you're missing the whole point. And then besides, verse 8 of chapter 12, besides, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm over these laws and rules. Do you understand the power and authority that I have? Chapter 14. Chapter 14, John the Baptist is beheaded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, verse 22. Sorry, we can't cover everything. We, uh, you know, unless you want to be here all day. We can do that. You guys vote? No. Okay. Um, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him. And he stayed back and he prayed. When the evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, hey, take courage, it's just me, don't be afraid. 
right? Don't freak out, guys. Just a guy walking on the water. I'm Jesus. This is what I do. No big deal. Chapter 15. Chapter 15. I love this. I love, by the way, I love the disciples because they always say what I'm thinking, like the stupid things that I'd never have the courage to actually say to Jesus. And they do here, verse 12 of chapter 15. The disciples come up to him, and remember, Jesus has just gotten done, just reaming the religious leaders, just going after him. And this is what the disciples say in verse 12. Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard what you said? <laughs> Does it sound like Jesus is really worried about offending people at this point? Right? No, and Jesus says, oh, I'm sorry. Bring them back. Free hugs all around. You know? No, he doesn't. He says, they're blind. Let them go. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Chapter 16, Jesus says this, verse 18. Jesus says to Peter, look, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't stand against it. He said, Peter, when you said I was the Christ, you were right. And now I'm going to build my church, and the gates of death and hell will not be able to stand against it, it is going to grow throughout the world. It is going to change lives. It is going to bring hope to the hopeless and life to the lifeless, and it cannot be stopped. That's the kind of power that I have. And you know what's awesome? You know why we're gathered in this room 2,000-plus years later? Because he is right. Because Jesus really is that powerful. He wasn't lying. He said, I'm going to build my church, and nothing is going to stop it. Do you realize how powerful I am? Chapter 19, along the way, Jesus is healing more. He heals a demon-possessed boy. He's teaching and healing along the way. Chapter 19, Jesus confronts rich people again, goes after those with money and influence, and this is what he says, some harsh words again. Verse 23 of chapter 19, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Whoa, Jesus, scale it back a little bit, man. He's saying, look, when you have 20 bucks to your name, right, it's one thing to give that away. It's relatively easy when that's all you have. But all of a sudden you get a job, start saving, you own a house, all these different things, get some position, some wealth, and all of a sudden you think you're something. All of a sudden, giving things away, living sacrificially, gets a whole lot harder because you've got a whole lot more to lose. And he says, man, it is so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then verse 28, at the end of that chapter, he says, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, the Son of God will sit on his glorious throne. So that's where I'm going. That's who I am. That is how you will know me, sitting on my throne. Chapter 20, in verse 18, Jesus uh, is talking about his death, and now we really get to see, really get to see his power. Verse 18, he says, Look, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to die, to death, and, he will hand, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. I mean, can you imagine this? Right, this man who walks on the water, whose the elements simply bow down and submit to his voice, before whom demons beg for mercy. This Jesus who has raised the dead and healed the sick and done all these things. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to let them kill me. I'm going to be crucified. They're like, what and why? 
In verse 28, he speaks to the why. He says, look, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, look, I have the power and authority. I could destroy them. Right? I'm going to sit on the throne. I'm the Son of God, the one true Son of God, but I'm going to let them kill me. And I'm going to do it because this is why I've come, to lay down my life as a ransom for you. I'm going to let them flog me and beat me and crucify me for you. That's how strong I am. And then after three days, I'm going to look death in the face and say, no. I'll give you three days, and then I'm walking out of here. That's Jesus. Chapter 21, I love this. If you think that Jesus is a vegetarian pacifist, um, this is your chapter. This should change your mind in and of itself. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem to find the temple full of all types of economic activity. People are buying, selling, rather than worshiping God, praying. Uh, all this is going on, and Jesus is just enraged. Right? There's the money changers there who make their money out of extortion. Jesus walks in, and he's not going to have it. And so Jesus walks in, and we're told, and there's you know, a number of different accounts, and we know from John's account, so he starts driving people out of the temple. And John's account tells us that he actually took the time to make a whip out of cords. How long did that take? Right? Where did he get the cords? Right, I think when we read this sometimes, we think it's like a temper tantrum. You're like, ah, Jesus got a little carried away on that one. You know, like he just, if he could take it back, he probably would have done something different. But this is like planned, sustained aggression. And it tells us, crazy thing is, it tells us that he successfully drives out all of the animals, all of the money changers from the temple. Drives them all out. Let me ask you, do you think a meek little man could accomplish that? Listen, if one of you stands up right now and starts to try to start a riot, as Jesus did, and to drive us out of this space, I'm telling you, you're going to be stopped. There's a number of us in this room that are going to stop you. Right? What makes this any different? Right? These guys are property, their money is in this space, and Jesus successfully drives them out. What kind of a man does it take to be able to do that? You know, he was a carpenter, right? He knew how to swing a hammer. That's how he made a living. This guy's tough. The skin wouldn't be pale white, right? Like the girlish figure we see in so much of the traditional art. It would have been like leather. This is a man who worked in the sun, who was strong. He was fierce. He was powerful. That's Jesus. Drives them all out of the temple. Unreal. And then later in verse 42, get this. It says, the stone, this is what he says. It says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. Verse 44. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Jesus says, that's me. I'm the cornerstone. I'm going to let them reject me, and I will be rejected, but I'm changing everything. God has made me the cornerstone. You try to stop me, I'm going to crush you. You try to get in my way of what God has sent me to do, and I fall on you, you're crushed. You fall on me, it's going to be like China falling on rocks. You're going to shatter. That's Jesus. Is this, just let me ask you, is this the Jesus they had in mind? Is this the Jesus that you know? Is this the Jesus that you picture when you think about his name and what he accomplished? Jesus was strong. Man, he was strong. Chapter 23. Again, Jesus sets his sights on the religious leaders. Pharisees and the teachers of the law, once more. And now look at this phrase he starts using. He starts saying, woe to you. Woe to you, men of influence and power. Woe to you. This is like a guttural, gut-level curse. 
And he's saying, woe to you. Verse 15, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Yeah, Jesus. Right? I mean, did you know that Jesus used expressions like sons of hell, you sons of hell? I'll get you kicked out of most churches. Can you imagine I get up here on Sunday mornings? Woe to you, I say, to you. Woe to you, you children of hell, you hypocrites. Well, hey, let's close in prayer. Thanks for coming, guys. <laughs> Come back next week. It's going to be good. You know? This is how Jesus spoke to powerful, influential men. Woe to you. Verse 25, he says, Woe to you, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. He goes on, you know what you're like? You're like whitewashed tombs, which look so beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Wow. You put on this big show for God. You show up in the religious places. You go through the motions. You pretend like you have it all together, but I know it's on the inside. You look beautiful on the outside, by the way. Thanks for showering. But you know what? On the inside, you're full of all death and things unclean. You know what you're like? You're kind of like a tomb. That's what Jesus says. This is how he talks to him. Ouch! Chapter 24, 25, Jesus is talking about his return. And he says, uh, chapter 24, he's talking about being ready. He says, you never know when I'm coming back. When I come back, I'm going to be sitting on that throne. You never know. Be ready. Chapter 25, he talks about being faithful with what God has given you, what Jesus has entrusted us with. Uh, And then he says, or face judgment. Essentially what he says. And then in verse 31 of chapter 25, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Again, he will sit on his glorious throne. Is that the Jesus you pictured when you walked in here this morning? That's the Jesus of the Bible. I'm not making any of this up. I'm just reading. This is Jesus, chapter 24, 25. Chapter 26, chapter 26. Jesus tells his disciples again. He says, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to the authorities. And in verse 47, they come for him. When they went to seize him, right, we know one of Jesus' companions, it says, drew his sword and cuts the ear off the servant of the high priest. And then I love what Jesus says in chapter, or verse 53. He says, Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? So look, don't you get it? If I wanted help, I have it. Don't you think, all I have to do is call on God, my Father, and he will send thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels and wipe these guys out like that. But I'm going to let it happen. I'm going to let it happen, verse 54, because how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? And so Jesus allows himself to be arrested. And here's what blows me away. Verse 67. Tells us this. Tells then they spit in his face and they struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who hit you? Come on, Mr. Prophet. The most powerful man to walk God's green earth, a man who is no mere man, could wipe them out in a second. Let's them hit him, beat him, slap him, mock him. And they're just sitting there just mocking him. Say, who? Come on, Mr. Prophet. Who just punched you in the face? How'd that feel? Tell us, since you know, Mr. Prophet, Chapter 27, verse 29. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on his head. 
They put a staff in his right hand, and they knelt in front of him and mocked him more. Hail, king of the Jews. They spit on him, took a staff, and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to crucify him. And crucify they did. I'm guessing that's part of the story you're familiar with. One of the reasons we're here this morning. And in verse 39, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. And just picture this, would you? This is the Jesus who walks on water, who raises the dead, who heals the sick, before whom demons beg for mercy, the most powerful man in the universe, and they are just beating him ruthlessly, saying, come down from there. You said you're going to rebuild the temple in three days. You can't even save yourself. And he's letting them do it. He's letting them do it for you and for me. And Jesus is saying, that's how strong I am. That's how strong I am. I'm going to let them do this. And I love that phrase. Jesus did say, you know what? Tear down this temple, and in three days, he's talking about his life, I'll be back. I'll be back. Chapter 28. I love chapter 28. He's crucified. He's put in the tomb. And then the women come to the tomb, and there's an angel there who says, he's not here anymore. Didn't he tell you? I know he told you. Did you not believe him? He's not here. Right? He said he was going to get up after three days. He wasn't joking. You still don't get it. And so they started running. They ran to tell the other disciples in verse 8. And then look at verse 9. Suddenly, after all this, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. I love that. Can you imagine watching? We watched this man die. We watched him get beaten, crucified. We anointed his body. We put him in that tomb. And they go running out of there. And Jesus shows up and says, Hey, what? You know, I told you. I told you. I am that powerful. That's so insane. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. Go ahead, destroy me. I'll come back. And then he tells his gals, look, gather the disciples together. And we know that, you know, Jesus, you know, at times, he, he, there's one time he, he appeared to over 500 people. Um, he showed himself to many, many people, which is one of the reasons, obviously, the church just exploded. Uh, if you can imagine seeing a dead man walk, they're like, oh, yeah, what he said was true. Okay, there he is. Um, just to, explodes. But this is what he's going to say to his final, his final things to his disciples in the final verse in chapter 28. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Listen, today we don't get together to just remember a really swell guy whose life was cut short by tragedy. We come to celebrate the Jesus who died crucified, who died, and who was resurrected, and who lives. That's the Jesus that we come for. We come to celebrate and remember him. The Jesus who simply spoke to the wind and the waves, and they bowed in submission. The Jesus before whom the fiercest demons fell at his feet and begged for mercy. The Jesus who rose people from the dead, who healed the sick, who walked on water. The Jesus who looked death square in the face and said, nope. The Jesus who essentially descended into hell and looked square in the face, a creature more terrifying than anything you've seen in your nightmares, and made him bend the knee. 
who snatched from his hand the keys to sin and to death and who simply turned around and walked out. That's the Jesus that we come here for. That's, that's, that's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. That's the Jesus of the scriptures. We worship the Jesus who says this in Revelations 1, and I, I love this verse. You can throw it up. The Jesus who says, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death to death and Hades. That is a Jesus that is worthy of our adoration, our respect, our fear, and our worship with everything that we have. See, I'm glad that Jesus was that powerful. I love that he was because I'm on his side. That's, that's my Jesus. Everybody who calls him Lord, that's your Jesus. I love that Jesus is that powerful because he's my Savior. He is my King. He is my Lord. The Jesus who is the first and the last, who was dead but who's alive now and forevermore, who holds the keys to death and Hades. I mean, can you see now for just a split second why all these ordinary people who are afraid, who scattered at Jesus' arrest, almost overnight became men and women of courage who changed the freaking world? Because you see a dead man walk, you see this powerful Jesus deliver on everything he just said he was going to do, and it changes you. Because that's my Jesus. The Jesus who came as a ransom for you and for me who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you now and forevermore, even to the end of the age. Is there anything worth celebrating more than that? That's our Jesus. That's the Jesus that we're here to celebrate and to worship. I don't think there's any better news than that. If you will, let's pray. Jesus, what can we say in your presence. What can we offer before you? Jesus, you who are so fierce, so powerful, who death could not hold back. The Jesus who predicted his own death, who did the impossible and then conquered it all and came back. The Jesus who died for us. Jesus, what can we say to you in your presence? What can we do but fall on our face before you and worship you with everything that we have? What little we can bring to the table, Jesus, it's yours. Man, Jesus, we thank you for what you did. We stand in awe of you. We admit before you that we didn't deserve any of that, but man, are we glad you did it. We are your men, we are your women. Jesus, we love you. Thank you.